baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and we're coming at you with what has been a week and a half worth of Major League Baseball action on the field. We waited an awful long time for it. We finally got it. The Atlanta Braves are making the most of it as they're off to a red-hot start and sitting in first place in the National League East. I'll be talking about all the big Brave stories with Gabe Burns from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And my buddy Bill Rowland will check in and we'll talk about some of the other things happening across Major League Baseball, some of the big stories and how those standings are shaping up through the first week or 10 days. And that doesn't necessarily mean seven to 10 games for every team as we've had COVID-19 rear its ugly head. And we'll get into all the headlines about that on this episode as well. As always, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and Stitcher. We appreciate your ratings and reviews there. And if you like the podcast, be sure to share it with a friend as well can find from the diamond on twitter at from the diamond underscore i am at grant mccauley g-r-a-n-t-m-c-a-u-l-e-y you can find bill at bill roland b-i-l-l-r-o-h-l-a-n-d and you can find gabe on twitter as well at gabe burns ajc is where you can find him on instagram the show is at from the diamond i am at grant mccauley and every episode of the show and so much more is available over at from the diamond.com so it's time to see what's going on with the Atlanta Braves. And to help me do that, I want to welcome Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution into the show. As always, you can follow him on Twitter at Gabe Burns AJC. Gabe, we got to see live baseball again this year. It had been quite a while, at least as far as games that count. But the Braves have not disappointed over about the first week and a half of the 2020 season. Yeah, thanks as always for having me, Grant. And they sure haven't. I mean, 7-3 and three in your first 10. You split a series with you know, a World Series hopeful and you're – Already, I mean, they're already four games up on the Mets. So they've split the season series with New York, worst case. Uh, no, I mean, quite frankly, other than the rotation, which I'm sure we'll, we'll delve into, I mean, everything is really going swimmingly for the Braves. Yeah, absolutely. Atlanta riding a five-game winning streak after beating the Mets on Sunday. They're starting to see some signs of life, I think, in the batting order, which we'll get to. They got a lot of questions to answer in the pitching staff, at least in the rotation as far as that's concerned, which we'll also getting to. But – I would say, by and large, the Braves are pretty much matched up to what you expected or at least what you hoped for coming into the season when you look at everything that they've managed to accomplish in a short amount of time. No doubt. I mean, the bullpen without Will Smith has been really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's definitely fair to say that so far it's lived up to expectations. Plus, you know, it looks like A.J. Minter is back. You know, Tyler Matzek has had a couple of really nice games and come through for him. I mean, really, the... The group is really rounding into form, and that's without the guy who, you know, is probably the best bullpen arm they have. So, they're definitely easy to be encouraged about that. And, you know, they faced some good guys starting out. The offense got a little bit of a slow start. You know, the strikeouts are concerning. But, you know, Acuna now, he had a homer and double last night. He had a double today. Looks like he's maybe getting going a little bit. 
really, I, I mean, things are things are rounding into shape for this team. If, if they can figure this rotation out, then certainly they, they look like the uh, World Series contender that we expected them to be. Yeah, I would imagine. So let's jump into the offensive side of things. You mentioned a little bit of a slow start and, of course, a lot of strikeouts for the Braves in the early going. But one guy who does not seem to be affected by that is the new kid on the block, if you want to call him that, or the big offseason acquisition anyway. And that's Marcelo Zuna, who's off to a red-hot start this season. We knew the Braves were going to need him to step up big in the middle of the order, and he's doing it. Ozuna's hitting the ball hard, which is kind of a thing he's always done. But, Gabe, I think these early returns have been everything the Braves could have asked for out of their left fielder. Oh, no doubt. He's certainly exceeded expectations. When you're kind of estimating what his numbers are going to be, how much he can replace with Donaldson, I mean, he has been really, really impressive so far. We'll see if he keeps it up, but... Right now, he, he's everything that they wanted and more out of the cleanup spot. And, you know, especially once they really get rolling, get Ozzy and Acuna rolling, this, this is, this is going to be a pretty dangerous lineup at the top and the middle. No doubt about it. The Braves want that one through four, which is going to, of course, start with Ronald Acuna at the top, Ozzy Albies, Freddie Freeman, and then Marcelo Zuna. And you've got Ozuna doing his thing. We're seeing some signs out of the others. Of course, Ozzy is dealing with a little bit of a wrist ailment. Uh, what's the latest on that, and what do you expect going forward for Ozzy Albies? Is this something we should be concerned about or just something the Braves wanted to handle with a little bit of extra time off and a little bit of care, if you will? Yeah, it sounds like the latter. Uh, nobody seems really concerned about it. He had Sunday off. He had the other night off. He can w- wound up coming in pinch hitting late and playing second base. It just sounds like every now and then they're going to give him a day off. They're not going to push him, which is really a smart move. And Quite frankly, it's an easy thing for them to do with the you know with the depth that they have and the amount of guys they have who can play multiple positions. So there's certainly no reason to push him early, especially you know we're looking at an expanded playoff. Yeah. You know who knows what's going to happen there. I mean that's that's where the Braves' mind should be at this point, even this early. I mean I know we're only through ten games, but this team from however many games they were going to play this season was thinking about the postseason and the World Series. So. You're thinking about the long haul. The smart move here is to just kind of play it easy with Ozzy. And, yeah, they've been wrong about injuries before, as sure. we all know. But for right now, it, it does not sound like much of a concern. And this is also something that winning allows you to do as well. The depth, of course, for the Braves is going to be a big part of what they were hoping was going to be a huge advantage for them, even in a short season, just to have an, enough quality backups that they wouldn't miss too much or wouldn't have to search for a replacement in the middle of the season. And they're able to do that with Ozzy Albies. But – one of the big things we looked at when we saw the schedule come out, and of course, as the Braves got the season started, what a week and a half ago was, you got to start this thing out with 20 games in 20 days. Braves are halfway through that now at seven and three. They got to be feeling pretty good about getting that first chunk of the schedule out of the way. And how they've started out this year, of course, has got them in first place in the National League East. Oh, they have to be feeling great. I mean, the only thing you could really say is that the bullpen has worked a little more than yeah. more than yeah. they would have liked, but. You watch these games, you look at how they played against Tampa. I mean, okay, they, they get stomped down in St. Petersburg. They come back, they wind up, you know, they're calling it different sweeps, but they wound up splitting the total series with the Rays. And it's never easy, even when they're struggling. And then for them to beat the Mets, I, I mean, I know, you know, we certainly weren't convinced that the Mets would be a legitimate contender or, you know, real, maybe when fully healthy, but a real uh, contender for even, sure. to even take the NL East. But, I mean, you look at these first handful of games, and uh, quite frankly, it's like another species out there. Okay. Uh, it's a whole, it's a whole nother level. Um, the Braves just look a couple levels above the Mets, which has to be pretty comforting right now, uh, especially given that there, you know, there's 50 games left in this thing now. 
And they put him in a four-game hole, and New York is having all sorts of issues. Obviously, Cespedes uh, opts out in an unconventional way on Sunday uh, Sunday afternoon. And then, you know, who knows what's happening with their rotation. So this is one team that, you know, maybe when fully healthy, maybe over the course of a long season. I mean, they were good last year, but the Braves have to feel really, really good about where they are at least in relation to the Mets right now. Yeah, I think so. Also, looking at what the Braves have been doing offensively, we talked a little bit about Marcelo Zuna and a couple other guys. We're seeing signs of life, of course, from Ronald Acuna Jr., who we'll talk about in a moment. But I don't want to bury the lead on perhaps the most surprising Braves hitter as far as a really hot start to the season is concerned is Dansby Swanson. He's got the bat going. He's hit safely in every game this year. He's on the MLB leaderboard in several different stats. Gabe, do you think this is the year we finally see Dansby Swanson kind of put it all together? It's looking like it so far. And, you know, putting it together in this season is for the entirety of this season is going to be a lot easier than putting it together, obviously, over a normal one. Uh, You know, I've written about this quite a bit and we've talked about it quite a bit. We, We still we've never really seen just a full, healthy, uninterrupted season from him. Yeah. And there were there were signs last year. Obviously, he got off to a great start, showed some legit power growth last year. Oh, everyone did, but that's besides the point. Um, you know, you look, you have to. I mean, you have to feel really good about him. I mean, he eleven RBIs. I think he was was a second in the NL yeah. as of Sunday, or he, you know, he was tied for the MLB lead for a moment. Like they're moving him around the lineup. He's hitting wherever Snip puts him. Certainly, this is about the best we have seen Dansby, and we have seen him have some really strong stretches, and right now he's going through one of those. So the only question is, you know, is this something that he can continue? And if he stays healthy, there's no reason to say he's not, because if you look at it, it's not like he's particularly lucky. It's not like there's underlying factors here. He's just playing really, really well. And I would certainly say offensively, uh, he's by far the best development for them so far. Yeah, for sure. And, and one of the other things I look at with Swanson and something that as you dive into some of the StatCast data that's available to us now or some of the trends that it comes to what kind of contact is he making and his ground ball rate has gone down, his line drive and fly ball rate is going up. And as we've seen just from the eye test, when Dansby Swanson started hitting it with authority to right center field and to right field, and that happened really last year was the first we saw of that on a regular basis. Those, I felt like, were huge signs of adjustments that he had made and the growth that was taking place as a hitter. Who A guy who was kind of thrown into the major leagues without a whole lot of time in the minors, he's still kind of growing up right before our eyes, if you will. No doubt. It's kind of weird to think about given, you know, he's in his mid-20s. You know, most of these guys are, are really kind of in their prime by now. But it really does feel like there, there's a lot more here and we're starting to see it. And there's... And there's so many factors that go into that. And Snit talks about it all the time on the amount of pressure that was on him when he came up. But there was a reason he was a number one overall pick. And, you know, obviously he checks all the boxes with intangibles and everything. And now you're, you're just seeing – and look, none of us are scouts, but you really watch him. It's easy to see how he's matured as a hitter and just as a player in general. And uh, he really he fits this team like a glove, and when you look at contenders throughout the years and you look at teams that won World Series, I mean, these are the kind of guys that they rely on. So there was reason to be pretty excited about his future last October, given how he showed up in his first playoff series, and it looks like he's just continued to build off that. So, you know, here's hoping he stays healthy so we can really see a full season out of what looks like to be, you know, inching into his prime Dansby Swanson. 
He really feels like a glue kind of player. And you mentioned it, what clubs are comprised of when they become that winner and that team that takes the next step or that team that you know, maybe even on some days happens to play above its talent level just because of the intangible things and the drive that's in there. And I know that's hard to quantify when you sit down and, you know, we look at all the data that's available to us now, statistically speaking, it's easy to get lost in that sea of numbers, but there are a lot of things that happen throughout the course of a major league baseball season. Heck, even in a course of a major league game that can rely on a lot of the more human elements, if you will, for the club as a whole, as they try to not only get through that day, but string those days together with as many wins as they can get and hopefully find their way into October where the Braves really want to start making some noise. One other guy who's been making noise lately, though, has been Ronald Acuna Jr. After that very tough start, a lot of strikeouts piling up to start the year. We started to see him showing some signs at the plate that he could be breaking out at that first home run, those first few RBIs under his belt. Gabe, what have you seen from Ronald lately, and are you optimistic that he'll be back to his old ways sooner than later because – it seems like he always finds a way to bounce back. Yeah, he'll be fine. I understand why there was, you know, early panic. And I mean, that's understandable, but he'll be fine. He's put together better at bats. He's already looking more patient at the plate. I mean, you saw it today when he drew that walk off of uh, David Peterson. I mean, he knew that the pressure was on him. He just stood back and Peterson just, you know, walked him on four pitches. So Acuna will be fine. There's a lot of slow starts around the major leagues. He was one of the guys mentioned, but I mean, you've seen the start that Yelich is off to. Uh, Bellinger got off to a slow start. It's it's obviously it's magnified mm-hmm. when you're only playing 60 games. But for right now, no, uh, there's certainly no reason to be concerned. In these last couple of days, if anything, there's reason to think that you know the real Ronald Acuna is about to stand up. So when you look at it, they're seven and three. You know, if you want to call Acuna their best player, their second best player, or whatever, he has not been performing very well. Their rotation, there's only two pitchers who are even pitching, you know, beyond four innings right now. Right. Uh, certainly, this team is nowhere close to its uh, final form or even its above average form. I mean, there's a lot of room to grow. So, you know, with Acuna, with the star, just all around. There's definitely there's reason to be optimistic because they're winning games with, without a lot of factors clicking. So as the season goes on, I'm really interested to see just what this team looks like when they're firing on more cylinders. Yeah, Braves 7-3. and three. I was about to use that exact same analogy, not firing on all eight cylinders just yet, but the ones that may not be firing quite yet, you have to feel pretty good about how far they're going to be able to carry you when they do heat up and Ronald Acuna Jr. right in the middle of all the good things for the Braves offense more times than not. Uh, you mentioned the Braves' rotation. A lot of question marks after Mike Soroka and Max Fried have both been outstanding so far. Rotation really falls off after that. And Mike fulton got exactly one start before he was dropped from the roster and now finds himself back in Gwinnett for a second consecutive summer, but with less time to get things right this year. So that's what's going on with Fulte. But were you surprised to see this move to designate him for assignment so early and that no other team really even wanted to take a chance on him? I was more surprised at the designation itself than no team claiming him. You'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who would say that they weren't surprised, especially the manner it was done with Snit just, you know, mentioning it in a yep. post-game Zoom. So, I mean, yeah, it was unexpected, but you've heard the interview since. I mean, they watched him several outings. They were concerned about the velocity. So they went ahead and made the move. You know, as far as the team claiming him, I mean, everyone needs pitching, and obviously Fulte still has that big upside. We're two years removed from him being, a, you know, looking like a true number one. He was an all-star. I mean, forget the two years ago, even last year. Right. 
before game five. You know, his last 10 or so starts there, he had that playoff game against the Cardinals, which is, you know, it's a huge deal. I mean, that was a, I want to say he pitched seven shutout innings it was, or seven, one, something like that. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of pedigree there. Um, teams are not inclined to take on money right now. That's no secret. So there are factors that, that go into, you know, why he wouldn't be claimed. It certainly looks like, barring something unexpected, him coming back up later in the season and just excelling and putting things together, it certainly looks like his Braves tenure is kind of on life support here. And that's um, – it'll be interesting just to see, you know, how his career unfolds from here, whether it's – whether he does rebound with the Braves or, you know, joins another organization because he certainly had a very, very – uh, interesting career so far, uh, all things considered. So the end, you know, potentially ending that era um, was certainly unexpected in the first 10 games of this season. Yeah, I didn't expect it after one start. Of course, the velocity, five, six miles an hour below his average fastball velocity. I mean, we've seen this guy touching triple digits at times, but at the very least, peppering 96-97 on a regular basis. That was not happening, not in those starts uh, in the scrimmages, not in the start against the Marlins and also not in that first start against the Tampa Bay Rays where he really seemed to be struggling to get it up there even in the low 90s. So, Gabe, I'm kind of with you. I think this could be the end of his tenure, but, you know, stranger things have happened. But at this point, I think Mike Fulton-Evich's path back to the rotation is probably got a road close sign on it. But if he can find that velocity and come out of the bullpen and give the Braves a little bit of depth late in the season, that could be helpful. But I think lurking in the offseason, of course, is a possible non-tender because I'm not sure the Braves want to go back to arbitration with Fulte all things considered for what's been happening in the year 2020. But putting him aside, Sean Newcomb, kind of an enigmatic character in the Braves rotation. We've seen some good, we've seen some bad, and we say it every year. The stuff to be dominant is there. The command and control always seem to be what holds him back. Sean's had a couple of rough ones so far this year. How long do you think the leash is on Sean Newcomb in the Braves rotation? Unfortunately for the Braves, they they have to have a longer leash with some of these guys because they don't exactly have a lot of options to turn to now. You know, Newcomb labors a lot. It's not, it has not been smooth so far. It, it hasn't been an easy watch. That's not to say that he can't straighten up and figure it out. Uh, we saw the big thing for him, Snit hammers at home, and anyone who's really followed his career these last couple of years can attest to this. But he was a changed man in that bullpen. Yeah. And for he has to recapture that mentality, that constant attacking, the aggressiveness. He has to stay on top of that when he becomes a starter and Snick keeps preaching, he needs to go an inning at a time, yeah. go out and just treat every inning. Like you're closing the game, treat every inning. Like it's the ninth. And to this point, he just, he hasn't done that. He, he's not, he's not attacking the zone. Like he was in the bullpen. Um, lots of, I mean, just, he's just all over the place. So, you know, this, this is, this is on him. Um, I mean, the Braves need him. The offense can't rally from six down every night. No kidding. Uh, they, I mean, they need him, and this is something that's on him. And obviously, oh, there's a lot of potential there. I mean, when they traded for him uh, in the Simmons deal, I mean, you can say what you will about that, but Newcomb was really highly regarded at the time, and he's had ups and downs since he's been up here. And, you know, for him, too, if, you know, he wants to be a starter. He made that clear in spring, you know, even before spring training. He wants to be a starter. He does, you know, he doesn't want to be in the bullpen despite the success there. So for him, you know, for the future of his career, you know, he just needs to figure out how to be more consistent. He needs to figure out how to attack the zone more as a starter if he wants to stay in that role. And the Braves now, they don't have a lot of alternatives to turn to. Uh, So, I mean, they're just going to kind of have to, work through it with him and 
you know, hopefully he can start, you know, lowering his pitch count and just pitching deeper into games. And you mentioned they don't have a lot of options. And I think that, well, yeah, they've got a lot of options at the AAA level, if we want to call it that, in the player pool, but not a lot of proven major league options at this point, especially when you consider being down by Mike fulton right now. I think there is a lot more pressure on Sean Newcomb in what was already, I think, a make-or-break year for his career. And, you know, you may see this differently. I don't think you will. I don't think Brian Snitker would either. But I would rather see Sean Newcomb pound the strike zone. If he gets hit, he gets hit. But the manner in which he ends up out of the zone so often, the extra base runners, the laboring, as you put it, that's just not going to lend itself to him being able to stick and stay in rotation. And it seems like the pretty much the opposite of what he was in the bullpen where he other than a couple of bad outings, really seemed to find that aggression that he needed to make himself take a step forward, I thought, just in his work out of the bullpen, even if that just happened to simplify the mindset for a while. Exactly. And from his standpoint, he wants to be a starter. Well, you know, if they go through these 60 games, and most of it is what we've seen so far out of him, the Braves have to enter the offseason saying, well, if we non-tender faulty, you know, Hamels, who knows whatever happens with him, but he'll be a free agent. Right. Uh, you know, they're going to look at this rotation and they're, you know, how many guys are they going to need? Well, we don't know. You know, you mentioned the guys in the player pool. Ian Anderson is a guy who, you know, as we keep watching this rotation, of, you can't help but feel like eventually he's going to get a crack at it. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see what happens there. But you can't bank on these guys because I, as we're as we're seeing with Kyle Wright, you can be a really talented top five pick and a lot of people believe you will be good, but it's not an overnight thing. And in the case of Ian Anderson, especially in a 60 game season where you're also trying to win in the playoffs, uh, I mean, you're, you have no clue uh, what you're going to get there. So certainly Newcomb is a guy who, especially as you put it, when they got rid of Fulte, there's some increased pressure here and there's pressure for him for helping the team immediately and there's pressure for him as far as his future goes so it'd certainly be in everybody's best interest if he can kind of recapture that bullpen mentality and figure this thing out you touched on a couple of names Kyle Wright one Tuki Toussaint another one I would throw in there you also brought up Ian Anderson but Wright and Toussaint seem to be kind of that first line of defense the first guys up to get a crack at an opportunity in the rotation thanks to the Fulton DFA Cole Hamill's ongoing injury Felix Hernandez opting out of the season it seems like they have a chance to step it up, but who do you think is going to take that step forward quicker? Is it going to be Wright or is it going to be Toussaint? Both tantalizing arsenals, but you know when you look at Wright, it's you got to remember he was a top ten pick, but he only has just over thirty big league innings under his belt, so it's not exactly like he's not going through this thing for the first time, even if we've been hearing his name for quite a while. You know, it's weird with Wright. It feels like he's been around for a long time, mm-hmm. but you really a lot of a lot of people kind of overlook the fact that he, you know, he is not he has not logged that many innings even since nope. he left Vanderbilt. So it's not fair to totally judge him to what he's done to this point, of course. And I was really bullish on him back in the spring, and I, I thought oh, this would wind up being his breakout year instead of you know having some patience and letting him start in AAA, kind of build himself up before coming up. The Braves have been forced to rely on him early. I think there was a lot to like Sunday. You know, he he pitched himself into jams, but to his credit, he got out of them, and Tukey did the same thing. Uh, Tukey is really, really interesting uh, in the fact that, I mean, this I believe the other day was his only his second start since 2018. Like, it feels uh, – he's another guy who uh, – in the majors, I should say. He's another guy who, you know, it feels like he's been around forever, but he really hasn't had – 
that much of an opportunity. And obviously last year uh, did not go the way he wanted it to go. Oh, as far as which one is more likely to step up, I mean, it's hard to say at this point. I still feel like Wright, Mm -hmm. uh, he's on the cusp of it. But you have to be encouraged by Tukey, both of them. I mean, you could say that the bar has been lowered because at this point, you know, pitching three and a third and four innings and not allowing any runs is a real success uh, given where the rotation has been. But uh, both of them, had. there's a lot of reasons to be encouraged with them. You know, just the way they worked out of jams. I mean, that's so big for young pitchers. And, you know, not everybody can be Mike Soroka. <laughs> uh, it, it just doesn't. And you look at Max Freed, too. And it, it took right. him a couple of years before he was really established. So, sure. for these guys, it's unfortunate that the Braves are so reliant on them, you know, maybe before they're necessarily ready. But at the same time, it's good to get a gauge of players by just putting them out there and, kind of letting them figure this thing out yeah and that's the thing that the Braves are walking a a very fine line between not long ago they were thinking all right well we'll be able to develop some of these guys that can come up to the majors they can get their growing pains out of the way we can develop these arms once they get to the big leagues they'll get their innings then all of a sudden the Braves started winning so you really can't backtrack and say okay well it's great that we won last year but we're going to get back to developing arms and bringing up guys and taking their lumps or whatever it may be that really doesn't seem to be a possibility for Atlanta. And so some of these guys are just going to have to flat out step up. And I think some of these guys have the talent to do it. Uh, Looking at Wright, 267 minor league innings, and he has just over 30 big league innings. But it does feel like his name has been called for quite some time since he was drafted back in 2017. But that's what comes with being a first-round pick, and Tuki Toussaint was one of those as well. And we'll see what those guys are able to do. You mentioned earlier, I did want to touch on it one more time, though. The bullpen has been a real saving grace for the Braves early, in large part because the rotation hasn't been able to cover a ton of innings early on. Something we were not saying a year ago, though, was how about that Braves bullpen? Because it was about this time last year that Alex Anthopoulos was making several trades to bring in the veteran arms to stabilize the bullpen. And this group's been pretty consistent so far. But it hasn't been those names that you would have assumed would be leading the charge. We haven't seen a pitch from Will Smith yet. Mark Melanson, Shane Green, they've been fine. We've seen some craziness, I guess, if you will, with Luke Jackson, which is to be expected at times as well. But guys like Josh Tomlin and A.J. Minter and Tyler Matzak, they've been among the more intriguing performers out of the Braves' bullpen in the early going. It's a really impressive group. Like we've said a couple times now, it's doing it without its big off-season addition. You look back at, uh, at a year ago, and the moves that Alex made were huge. And especially with them keeping those players, uh, you know, they wound up uh, keeping Green. Melanson was under yeah. contract. They re-signed Martin. Those were big moves, and the Braves knew how important the bullpen was. And you think back to last year's playoffs, maybe if Chris Martin doesn't get hurt, you know, was that a turning mm-hmm. point? You know, yeah. how, you know what happens in game one, what happens in that series? So it's fair to think of it like that. And, and then to have these other guys, you know, to have A.J. Minter, who really was kind of, a forgotten man or, you know, written off by some after, after last year, to have him come back and look like he did uh, in 2017 has been really encouraging. Uh, Matt Zek, who I'm sure nobody was thinking anything of in spring training, all of a sudden looks like a really useful lefty, which again, you know, the last time I was on here, I think we talked about the Braves needed lefties to step up in Smith's absence. And they've gotten just that with Dayton, Matt Zek and Mentor. So, you know, Chasing, that did, you know, he, he had a night, his first outing was fine. Yeah. And you know, it, it didn't work out. It didn't work out following Newcomb the other day, but you're really, the group is not, 
you know, that outing that Tukey had following Fulte. But other than that, I mean, you really look at the bullpen. I mean, it has been outstanding. And can these guys keep it up? I, I don't know. But for this time when the Braves really needed their bullpen to perform like this, given the rotation, they did it. I mean, you look back at last year when, you know, Anthony Swarzak was a superstar in, the bullpen right. in there for that little stretch. But it occurred when the Braves needed it most. So, I mean, you look at the bullpen now, and maybe some of these guys will eventually drop off. I mean, the odds are it, things level out. Mm-hmm. But they're producing right now, and they're coming up big at a time that the Braves have desperately needed it. Most definitely. And then you've got Will Smith. His return should be sooner than later, but still at least working his way back through this week, facing live hitters again, and then assessing where exactly he's going to be. But considering that your most talented reliever has not yet taken the mound for you in 2020, this Braves bullpen should be committed for what it's done to really back up a rotation that after Mike Soroka and Max Freed has not been able to get as deep into the game as they'd like, even on a pitch count, there've been a lot of extra outs for that bullpen to absorb. And they've done a pretty good job of it more times than not wrapping things up on week one of the Atlanta Braves season in 2020, seven and three. So a week and a half, we'll call it that through their first 10 games, seven and three record big story this week, off the field was the return of Nick Markakis, who has decided he does, in fact, want to play in 2020. He has now opted in, and Markakis is getting himself up to speed over at the alternate training site in Gwinnett. Gabe, what do you think of Nick Markakis making this decision, and what kind of impact do you think he'll make on this club, both off the field and on? Well, you know, things are really rolling for the Braves, and that was just another bit of good news for them. Obviously, it's an important ad. Obviously, the team is thrilled to have him back. They supported his decision, but, you know, they wish that he had never made it, obviously. They would have loved to have him from the beginning. But this team has tried to sign Puig. Uh, They got Shebler. They uh, picked up Matt Adams, who we haven't mentioned, but he's been a great pickup so far, of course, the return of Big City. So, you know, getting Marquecas is only going to help this uh, lineup. It's only going to help against right-handers. It's going to help in the clubhouse. So it's all around good. I, I do think that it likely eliminates the possibility of them perhaps bringing in Puig at some point, you know, when he's cleared. You know, we, we've mentioned before, if that's an option, I would think that's probably off the table now. But, you know, big addition for them. And right now this team is healthy. And, you know, most of their spots are playing well. So to get Marquecas back, uh, that's just another shot in the arm. Overall, you have to feel pretty good about where the Braves are trending through 10 games of the season. and. It's crazy to think that this 10 games would be like a 27-game stretch in a 162-game season, but it feels like we had what felt like an eternity to wait to finally get some games going. And once they did, the Braves have found a way to win and do pretty well for themselves getting off to a hot start this season. Gabe, as always, I appreciate your time and look forward to doing this again very soon as the Braves continue their 20 games in 20 days to start out the regular season. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks for having me as always, Grant. So let's jump into what's been happening across Major League Baseball through the first week and a half. About 10 games for most of the teams have been lucky enough to stay on the field. For some others, you know, results may vary, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But as always, to help me with all our MLB headlines for the week, I want to welcome Bill Rowland into the show. Bill, appreciate the time as always, and looking forward to talking about what has been regular season baseball. We waited so long to finally get it back. Yeah, it's good to be talking with you again, uh, Grant, and uh, baseball is here. We've got games to talk about rather than just the possibility of games. So, yeah, all things considered, uh, little bumps in the road, but they're still playing. 
Yeah, no, they're definitely playing. It's been a few bumps in the road, even technically trying to get this show on the road this year. So I'll take the wins where I can get them, and having baseball back on the TV is a definite win. And with that in mind, I felt like a good place to start would be looking across what's happening in the standings, since we finally have some standings, and some of the top performers in baseball for the first week or 10 days of the season. And we'll start in the American League, where, to no surprise, the Yankees are the standard bearers there. But Hot on their heels, the upstart Baltimore Orioles, who have been beating up on the Tampa Bay Rays, who have not had a fun start to their season. And it's the Yankees and Orioles as the only 500 teams in the American League East, just like we all predicted way back in spring training. (laughs) Yeah, pretty amazing that uh, Baltimore has ripped off, what, uh, three games now, a three-game winning streak (laughs) for them, and they're trying to keep pace with the Yankees. But uh, I don't know how long that will last, at least for Baltimore. I, I think we all expected that the Yankees would be able to pull away from the rest of the division. We've talked about Toronto. Their young lineup is really, really exciting, but they're just not getting uh, the pitching right now. Or, quite frankly, that young lineup isn't hitting very well right now. So they may stick around in it, but they're struggling here in the early going. Tampa Bay, same kind of thing. Their lineup's pretty good, but their pitching has been suspect, and the Red Sox are just an absolute mess at this point. Uh, You know, Chris Sale is already on the DL. They lose uh, Rodriguez as well now. For this season so they just don't have any pitching at all so this is the Yankees division to run away with yeah it looks like a mess for some of the other teams but the Yankees most certainly are in position to punch their ticket to October if they simply keep hitting like they have been and as far as guys who've been making headlines thus far I think Aaron Judge being healthy back on the field and hitting home runs left and right that has to make the Yankees feel pretty good about the trajectory of their season even if they have their own question marks and things they're going to have to manage like every other club yeah, oh, absolutely. And Garrett Cole's been pretty good for them, as we kind of expected that sure. would be the case. So, I mean, their they're pitching is stellar. They probably have one of the better lineups. I, I guess you can make an argument maybe with Houston, maybe with Minnesota, mm-hmm. as far as who's got the best lineup in the American League. But they're certainly one of the top three or four. So they've got it all put together, and they're getting their closer back. Chapman's supposed to be returning sometime this week. They did okay with Zach Britton closing games out, so they're just getting stronger and stronger as we get through this truncated season. Looking into the American League Central, Minnesota Twins holding on to first place there, but you got the Tigers winning more games than they're losing thus far this year, which is surprising, but hey, it it is early. But then again, if you look at how much of the season we have left to play, I I don't really know if you can make that argument for too much longer. Uh, White Sox also over 500. I think we're expecting that. Indians hovering right around there. Kansas City, though, not as much fun for them, but I'm keeping my eyes on the Twins because I feel like they're the class of this division, just a little bit ahead of both the Indians and the White Sox. But, man, what Chicago has been able to do over the last year, year and a half, is they've developed some players, acquired some players, and gotten some of these kids to the big leagues. They could be a pretty exciting team, and 2020 could be a good year for the White Sox. If they get some pitching here in 2020, I think they're going to be really solid. I love their lineup, as we've talked about in the past. They have a lot of young kids, almost – the same way as Toronto does, but for whatever reason, Chicago seemed to be developing a little bit faster than the kids in up there in Toronto right now. So, I mean, look, they're putting up a, a bunch of runs. If they can get any kind of steady pitching uh, over the back end of this, this season, you know, say the last 30 games or so, uh, they're going to be tough, and they may be a team that nobody wants to see with that expanded playoffs because they could go into your ballpark and steal a couple from you, and all of a sudden the White Sox are – are getting past that first round and yeah. onto the uh, the semifinals, if you will, 
But uh, they're going to need their pitching to come around a little bit. They've, they've struggled a bit there as far as giving up runs. But I love their lineup. The, the bunch of young kids that are all hitting the ball. Yeah, Eloy Jimenez we got to see last year. And this year's phenom, of course, is Luis Robert, who has been doing pretty much everything up there for the White Sox as well. Uh, Indians, uh, they're a lineup that hasn't really done a lot yet in terms of putting runs on the board. But, man, have you seen what Shane Bieber has been doing for the Indians? Because when you pitch for a franchise that has Bob Feller as kind of the standard bearer for strikeouts, and you're striking out more guys than Rapid Robert was way back in his heyday, I would say that Shane Bieber, and considering some of the contemporaries the Indians have had in the last, what, 10, 15, 20 years pitching for them, he's in pretty good company as far as that's concerned with the start he's gotten off to. Oh, absolutely. And he's the guy that I had written down. We had talked about, hey, how about a surprise player or somebody that's impressed you? 14 innings pitched, no runs given up. He's 2-0, and so he's got 40% of their wins right now. Yep. 27 strikeouts in those 14 innings. And more importantly, one walk, Grant. Unbelievable. That's it. In 14 innings, I mean, we've seen guys that have incredible control, but not to that point. That's 27 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio. He's been unbelievable, but he's getting no other help uh, outside of that as far as the Cleveland starters go. They've been okay. Nothing like he's been, but uh, man, what a great start through uh, two starts for him. I, I don't think he'd keep this up, but man, that's impressive. Yeah, and he's been very impressive. I know that Lindor and company, they're probably going to hit their stride sooner than later. One would say they've got enough that you could feel okay about their ability to score runs in the long term. Hasn't happened early, so pitching's kind of been keeping the Indians afloat so they don't fall too far back of the Minnesota Twins and even the Chicago White Sox who are right there in the mix as well. Looking out in the American League West, I think we expected the Houston Astros to be at or near the top, which they are. Oakland Athletics probably right behind them. But other than the Texas Rangers, who are off to a little bit of a slow start, nobody's really head and shoulders over the first week or 10 days out west. In fact, everybody kind of hovering right around that 500 marker just below. Yeah, and the Angels trying to do the Otani experiment, and he's gotten shelled his first couple times out. I don't think he's gotten into the third inning in either of his starts. So I'm not sure, again, as we've talked about, with this short of a season – how long do you try to ride him and see if you can get a good start or two, or do you just make him a hitter? Because he's hitting the ball. He just can't find the plate when it comes to pitching. His control has been terrible. Yeah. Uh, this is a jumbled-up division right now. Again, it's still relatively early, even though it's only 60 games. I imagine Houston at some point will get out of their funk and, and will start to uh, expand their lead over the rest of the division. But, yeah, I, I'm disappointed in the way the Angels have played so far this year. Again, especially that pitching staff. And Texas is kind of pretty much where we thought they would be, even with the, the ballpark, that they just their lineup is just not scoring runs right now. No, they aren't. You thought they might have enough pitching to make a run at it out there, and they may still. There's a lot of time left in this season, even a 60-game season, when you're talking about a club that's only played about a week's worth of games. But, you know, it's going to be very interesting for me to watch how quickly time could you know, get away from some of these teams, if you will, where you're thinking about, okay, well, there is time left. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and realize there's not enough time left to be able to do the things you need to do to get into October, even with an expanded playoff field. And, you know, not for nothing, but we're less than four weeks away from the trade deadline for the, the 2020 season. And we're just talking about opening day, not even two weeks ago. So this is a weird year, a lot of strange things going on, but I think you're right. We'll probably see a little bit more out of the Houston Astros and the Oakland Athletics, for that matter, and some of these other teams in the American League 
as we switch over to the National League, just kind of looking at what's going on in the East Division. The Braves have ripped off a nice winning streak. They've been beating up on the New York Mets to do it. The Miami Marlins are a club we're going to talk a little bit more about for what's happened off the field and, for that matter, what has kept them off the field. But the Nationals have been affected, as have the Phillies. All of those teams have had to deal with cancellations surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic. And, Bill, that's just going to be something that clubs are going to have to kind of deal with and adapt to as it happens because there's really no predicting it, and it's gotten three clubs in the National League East losing some games to this thing. Yeah, for Washington, it's been a tough deal. They got off to a slow start. They lost two out of three to the Yankees, and then the Blue Jays took the first two games of the four-game set. But they won two in a row, looked like they were getting back on track. Unfortunately, they ran into the situation with Miami where they didn't have any games this weekend. So they went from feeling good about themselves to then not getting able to play. When you get three or four days off after you were just off for two and a half, three months, kind of slows the momentum down. Now, the nice thing for them, they get a struggling Mets team this week and that Orioles team that we're not convinced yet are going to be contenders. So I think Washington will be fine. Atlanta, I think, is still the class of the division, but the Nationals should be able to at least keep pace. And look, with eight teams making it in each conference to the playoffs, I'd be surprised if the Nationals are not one of the eight out of the National League. Yeah, for sure. That would surprise me as well. You look at the Central, meanwhile, the Cubs have won despite their bullpen having some serious problems. Craig Kimbrell has not been Craig Kimbrell for a while now. We knew that. Meanwhile, the Brewers and the Cardinals have both had their path to the top of the division delayed by COVID-related postponements of games. Cincinnati Reds, slow start. Pittsburgh, we kind of knew that they are going to be who they are, which is a club that's going to really struggle to win some games. What do you make of the Central and Uh, Can we really expect if they can get back on the field, what I felt like was going to be at least a three-team, if not a four-team race in that division. Cubs were kind of the club that I thought might be doing most of the chasing, but the Brewers, the Cardinals, and the Reds should all be interesting to watch as well. I tell you what, I've been impressed so far with the Cubs, with John Lester, who I don't think a lot of people expected much out of him. And again, it's only two starts into the season, but he's been really, really good for them. They've won both of his starts so far this year. If they can get even 85, 90% of what John Lester used to be in a short season, the Cubs are going to be fine. And I I think that's been kind of the the big thing for them is the the good starting pitching that they're getting from him and some of the other starters. Because as you mentioned, the the Craig Kimbrell experiment has blown up on them, and it did last year. I can't believe after the struggles that he had in 2019 that they still came back here in 2020 and let him be their closer. They've got to figure that out uh, because that will obviously hurt them not only during the regular season, but certainly when they get to the playoffs, if there's any type of of bullpen problems or they just don't know who their closer is, that's going to be an issue for them. Milwaukee, I think, will be fine. Their lineup is talented enough that they're going to, you know, stick around. And again, eight teams from each conference or, you know, will make it. Uh, So that being said, I worry about Cincinnati getting off to a slow start because they do have a lot of the young players, and they may look up and say, ah, we're 30 games into a 60-game season and we're still struggling. That can turn south on them in a hurry. We know the story with Pittsburgh. They're in a rebuild mode. They're not going to be a factor this year. Yeah, I don't really think we're going to be looking at the Pittsburgh Pirates being the surprise of the NL Central, but one thing to note about the Cubs, who have really sunk some money into Craig Kimbrell, is that they need him to get right Otherwise, that whole deal is going to blow up in their face. And it was one that Craig Kimbrell waited a long time to get. It was a club that would give him a multi-year contract. 
Cubs were that club. But as you mentioned, 2019 was rocky for them. 2020 has been even worse thus far. And again, a very, very small sample size, but some very concerning trends with what he's looked like on the mound. Quickly in the West, I think we know the Dodgers are a team that everyone's going to be chasing this year. Good start for the Rockies, also for the San Diego Padres thus far. They could be teams eyeing wild card berths if things go well for them, especially the Padres. I like them an awful lot. Diamondbacks have gotten off to a slow start as they have had the joy of playing the Dodgers a good little bit in the early going as well. I think these are all clubs that throw the Giants in there that you know, we know what this division is going to look like more or less, but more wild card spots means more opportunity for teams not named the Dodgers to find their way into October. Yeah, how about the start that the Padres are off to? You look at their team hitting, and if you just look at the batting average, they're hitting 237. Yet there they are scoring a bunch of runs so far in the year. In fact, I think coming into today, they were first or second with the Braves and runs scored uh, through all of baseball. Not only just the National League, but all of baseball. How are they doing it? They're drawing walks. They're one of the best teams in the league right now at getting guys on base via the walk. They're also stealing bases. Coming into Sunday, they led all of baseball with stolen bases, so they're finding ways to manufacture runs. Now, can that last for an entire season, even if it's only the 60 games? I'm not convinced that they're going to be able to continue to do that, but it is a good start for them, and they're doing it, again, unconventional ways. When you look at most teams relying on the long ball and everything else, they're a team that's getting guys on base via the walk and then stealing bases when they have an opportunity, even though they're hitting below 240 right now. Yeah, it's been an interesting division out in the West, and we're going to see a lot of things change, and maybe quickly in a 60-game season, you never know, as clubs kind of size up where exactly they are in terms of their playoff possibilities which with 16 teams making it as you mentioned eight in each league it's going to be quite the race this year very different than anything that we've seen in recent years even with an expanded playoff format so interesting stuff to monitor that's pretty much what the first week though looks like for us as we go through the standings in the leagues and kind of size up what the first week and a half has looked like across major league baseball bill there are also no shortage of stories across the league and across baseball regarding the coronavirus and what COVID-19 has done to it affect the season thus far in the schedule. We knew it was going to be a challenge, and that concern, of course, was warranted as we look at what happened with the Marlins and several other clubs who've either had an outbreak in their clubhouse, multiple test results that caused postponement of games, and, of course, whoever they're playing is then affected because they're not able to play in that case. And this has the league and the players back in talks about the viability of the season with Commissioner Rob Manfred going as far as to say on Saturday, we are playing. The players need to be better, but I am not a quitter in general, and there is no reason to quit now. We have had to be fluid, but it is manageable. That is the end of the quote from Rob Manfred. But as we knew, Bill, this was going to be something that was going to affect the season. There were going to be outbreaks. There were going to be positive test results, at least you know, manageable or otherwise. But how has this struck you in terms of what we've seen thus far and what maybe you expect going forward and what Major League Baseball can do about it to keep this season on track? Well, clearly it's tougher to put 25 to 30 uh, man rosters into a bubble. You know, a little bit tougher than you look at what the NBA is doing when they only have, you know, 13 to 15 guys. You're talking about half as many players, you know, into a bubble situation. And they're not even bringing all the NBA teams. So a lot of people are comparing it to what the NBA did, and and I don't think that's quite a fair comparison. I will say, however, that it was the players that turned down the opportunity. 
to kind of be in the bubble. That Major League Baseball, remember, you and I talked about this. It seemed like ad nauseum every week it was what's the plane going to be? Can they just put them all in Arizona or half in Arizona, half in Florida, whatever the case may be. So the players do in some regard uh, own a little bit of this being a problem. As we've heard the reports now that some of the Marlins who have been, at least at this point, the team that's been the, the, the one with the most positive cases, that they weren't just going from the ballpark back to their hotel. The reports of guys going out, mingling at the hotel bar, going out to get food, whatever it may be. So they weren't being responsible at all in this situation. And I think you're going to see that more and more because, let's face it, these guys are 20-somethings, 30-somethings for the most part. All you have to do is watch the news. How many 20-somethings all over this country are Mm -hmm. going out and not – wearing a mask or social distancing or whatever, they're no different than anybody else in their age group except they're millionaires and people are actually paying attention even more of what they're doing and they can affect a billion-dollar business with their decisions, right. not just having to sit in their parents' basement for 14 days you know, as they, as they clear out from their test. So it's a tough thing. I mean, I think Rob Manford has been a little callous on some of this stuff, but I think the players – uh, bear some of this responsibility as well. No, the players do, and it's going to come down to personal accountability, then the accountability one to another in those clubhouses. But you mentioned it, and just as I just said, in that clubhouse where even if you have a bubble, you're talking about twice as many players and personnel at the very least as some of the other sports that have been able to execute the bubble thus far with very good results. I'm not sure Major League Baseball can do it, and if they did, it would have to be modified somewhat just for the number of people that we're talking about. But they are going to have to continue to find ways to either up the protocols and alter them somewhat, whether that's testing or social distancing or contact tracing or any of the things that we can talk about for I'm sure far longer than any of us want to hear about it anymore. But the fact is we can be sick of this coronavirus thing, but that doesn't make it go away. And Major League Baseball is going to have to be vigilant about it. And it's going to start, I think, with some personal accountability, to your point, by the players to make sure that they're doing this for themselves and for one another so that we can make this thing happen and continue to have baseball in the year 2020. And with all of this going on, the league announced another rule change with double headers now being seven inning games, just like the minors, if you're not familiar. And one of the reasons they're doing that, of course, is so that all of these postponed games, these canceled games, these things that they're concerned about so that they can get as many of them in as possible and do it without wiping out a pitching staff in the process in a shortened season. I'm interested to see how that whole thing goes, and we've also seen more players opting out. Lorenzo Cain is the latest to do so. Well, actually, not even the latest. On Sunday, Ioannis <laughs> Cespedes didn't show up to the game against the Braves, and the Mets announced that Cespedes has now opted out of the season. So two bigger names who have opted out. Nick Markakis of the Braves, though, opted back in, and that, I think, is an interesting development as well. But it's been a crazy time in the first week and a half for Major League Baseball, and I don't know that it's going to calm down anytime soon. Yeah, the Cespedes of the situation was just bizarre because I guess when the Mets showed up, they sent security to his room. It wasn't even like he was hanging out in there. It was like, yeah, I'm not coming to the ballpark. Everything was gone. Nobody noticed that this guy packed up and just left yeah. and got out of there. So that was kind of an odd situation. But he's you know, kind of an odd guy at times, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I think – you're going to see, you know, a few more guys here and there throughout the season as uh, there are more outbreaks. If there are, I think you're going to see a couple more guys just decide that it's not worth it and they may opt out 
25 games into it. I won't be surprised by that at all. Uh, baseball's got their work cut out for them. I kind of figured, you know, if they were going to get back, they would kind of be the, the test for football coming up, again, with a larger roster than what you deal with with basketball. But uh, if baseball pulls it off, I think you're going to see it be worse, though, with football because you have much more contact and many more, almost twice as many players on a football roster as you do with baseball. So I think I think Major League Baseball kind of a guinea pig maybe for the NFL in this case. Yeah, I think there's a whole lot of things going on to try to figure out exactly, you know, create a baseline for what they think works and also finding out what doesn't work. But you don't necessarily want to be troubleshooting by using people's health in order to do so. So uh, an abundance of caution seems to be the word or phrase that keeps getting thrown onto it. Uh, when it comes to Major League Baseball making its uh, pronouncements and whatnot from Rob Manfred's office or from a, a team perspective. But, you know, again, I think that a level of accountability one to another for the players will certainly go a long way. You can't be going out, whether it's to restaurants or hotel bars or to the casino or whatever the case may be, as the Cardinals were another club, I think, that was uh, looking at the possibility of some tests because some guys just decided that they would go do a thing for themselves that could impact the team and the staff negatively. So, there's a lot to unpack, and I think they'll continue to be, and we'll continue to monitor that as much as possible. But, Bill, I think you would agree with me that, you know, you can only do so much on that front without turning your focus to maybe what's happening on the field as well. And some interesting news. We'll close on this thing. Joe Kelly threw at some of the Houston Astros hitters, which reminds us that things were happening in baseball before this pandemic, and the teams have not forgotten. It was the highly touted, rematch between the Dodgers and the Astros and of course the 2017 World Series that the Astros won tainted by their sign-stealing scandal the Dodgers the club that lost that World Series and Joe Kelly threw at Alex Bregman fastball up near the head that concerned some people then he threw a slider maybe got away from him at Carlos Correa later struck him out an eight-game suspension handed down by Major League Baseball to Joe Kelly for his actions I think it's too much considering that no Astros got a suspension based on their sign-stealing scandal. That was something that really struck a raw nerve across the sport, I think. I will say, though, that hearing Dusty Baker explain the on-field back and forth like a grandfather was the content I didn't realize I needed from this whole thing. Uh, what, did, what did you make of all this, and do you think that this is the last time we'll be seeing a pitcher throwing at the Houston Astros? Uh, yeah, I mean, it may be. And, and the weird thing with Joe Kelly is he was on the Red Sox team. Uh -huh. He wasn't even with the Dodgers when they lost to the Astros. He was on the Red Sox team that also beat the Dodgers, mm -hmm. who, oh, yeah, by the way, were also accused of doing some sign stealing as well. So kind of a weird thing for him to be the guy that's going to step out there and, and say, okay, I'm getting revenge for you guys. Look, eight games in a 60-game season is what about 15%. So you're yep. talking about in a regular season, they would be giving him a 24-game suspension or thereabout. I, when was the last time we saw anybody get 24 games for throwing at Never. people in a game? I, I can't remember. I don't think it's ever happened uh, to be that extreme. So, yeah, I thought it was a bit much. I mean, I would expect three, maybe five games, and even that's on the higher end. But, you know, hopefully he got his pass on the back, social distance, of course and everything is done with now, we can move on. But it's not like everybody in this first week has been throwing at the Astros. So I'm not sure that this is a thing or a trend. I think this is just Joe Kelly deciding that he was going to 
you know, step up and be the guy. Again, it doesn't make much sense because he wasn't on that 2017 team that lost to the Astros in the World Series. Yeah, super strange, I guess, some of the circumstances around it. I guess there's another theory that Joe Kelly breaking his own window and posting that on his social media might have been just a, a way to say, hey, you know, sometimes the ball gets away from me somewhat. And it all came full circle by throwing high and tight on a couple of Astros. It, I think we'll still see this from time to time. But overall, if you're looking at an eight-game suspension for Joe Kelly, even if he appeals it and knocks it down by a couple, I'm not sure that that risk is going to be worth the reward, you know, air quotes, of getting your revenge or giving them their comeuppance, if you want to call it that, for you know, any of the vigilantes out there that are looking to dole out some of that uh, by hitting a few Astros. So it'll be, uh, again, another thing that we'll f- kind of find out as we go. But it was fascinating and I think very entertaining for the first time that it happened and the first time that the Astros and Dodgers played. We won't forget that anytime soon. And perhaps as these two teams renew hostilities throughout the year, it'll be something that could rear its head again. And if they were to find their way back into a World Series anytime soon, I think that would also be a story that would write itself as well. So interesting stuff going on the first week and a half of baseball, Bill, as always. I appreciate you making the time, and I'm glad that we finally were able to get this show on the record, if you will. We had a lot of technical stuff that I know that listeners of the show certainly didn't live through, but I know for you and I, it's been uh, quite the labor of love to get this show going today. So thanks for making the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No problems. But we'll get all the technical aspects taken care of, and, uh, and we'll keep plugging along just like baseball will. Lots to keep an eye on, but more importantly, lots of actual baseball to keep an eye on as well. Very happy about that. Looking forward to chatting with you again soon about all of it. Absolutely. Thanks again, and uh, thanks everybody to listen. Well, that'll wrap us up for this week's episode of the show. It was quite a lot to get this whole thing put together. You may have noticed that the audio quality wasn't quite what we've been accustomed to. We're going to try to get these technical issues fixed and get things back on track, have a nice smooth episode coming out for you a little bit later this week. And I think the most important thing is we're all excited to be talking about Major League Baseball's regular season, which did get started, and now we can talk about games on the field and hopefully the excitement that will come with pennant races and all the good stuff and, of course, postseason baseball, which will be here before you know it as we count down the days of the 2020 regular season. We don't get 162. We're only going to get 60 of them, and we're about, what, 15% of the way through the season already, which is pretty wild to think about. As always, appreciate you tuning in to From the Diamond. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. And if you like From the Diamond, be sure to share it with a friend as well. Make sure you're following along on social media, on Twitter, at From the Diamond underscore is where you can find the show. I'm at Grant McCauley. Bill is at Bill Rowland. And Gabe is at Gabe Burns AJC. Instagram at From the Diamond. I'm at Grant McCauley. And every episode of the show and so much more is available at FromTheDiamond.com. Thanks again for making the show part of your baseball podcast regimen. And we look forward to bringing you an all new from the diamond next week. As we talk about the latest Braves and major league baseball news with you for Gabe Burns and for Bill Rowland, I'm Grant McCauley, and we will catch you next time. So long, everyone.